John chapter 3. Read the first 21 verses. So out of respect for the word of God, if you are able, please stand. John chapter 3. Glad to have my wife back as well. I don't want to overlook that at all. John chapter 3. The word of God, let us hear it together. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So if everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen. And ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Amen. Thank you for standing and please be seated. Let us pray together. Our Father, we come to you in the sweet name of Jesus. And we own the fact this morning that without him we can do absolutely nothing. God, our minds are weary this morning. How much we need your help. 
You've helped us in the past. Help us now. Father, I thank you for all here this morning, from the youngest to the oldest. What a privilege we have to hear your word. Father, even though they come through clay lips, God is still your word. And we want to know you this morning. We want to taste and see that you are gracious. Where our appetites this morning, we pray. Give us Jesus. Father, I can't help but thank you for the testimony of my good friend who's gone on to glory, Harold Rogers. What a testimony he left behind. And we come this morning, Father, asking that you would encourage and comfort his dear wife this morning and his children, grandchildren. Lord, build them up. Hold them up with those everlasting arms. And us here this morning, Lord, we need to be held up by you as well. We need your sustaining power this morning. We need that for you to pull back the veil so that we could get a glimpse of King Jesus. Show him to us this morning, our Father. Show him to us this morning. Bless our brother Jeff and help him in his recovery. Do the same for Sister Myra. Lord, encourage them with the sweet things of the gospel this very day that they would rejoice in heart over such a glorious Savior. Now, Father, refresh us. Help my brain and mouth to work together this morning. So here we are before you. Come to us. Meet with us and magnify your name. Hear us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus Christ is a master teacher extraordinaire. His teachings are moving, stirring, penetrating, thought-provoking, stunning, shocking, and challenging. His teachings came with authority, not like the scribes and Pharisees. They were made they were made for you to come away saying we've never heard a man speak like this man. There used to be a, a commercial when I was coming up. So when EF Hutton talks, people listen. Financial firm. But we have someone on the scene here more important than EF Hutton. When Jesus speaks, we need to listen. We need to be like his mom, Mary, said. When they needed wine at the feast, she said, whatever he tells you to do, you do. His teachings caused his hearers to think about their spiritual well-being. Jesus was not talking simply to talk. You know, sometimes if we're honest, sometimes we just talk just to be talking. Just to be heard at times. That's not what Jesus is doing. When Jesus spoke, he actually had something to say. My grandma used to say, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. (laughs) 
I should have kept my mouth closed a lot. But Jesus has something good to say every time he speaks. Sometimes his teachings made people happy. Sometimes they stirred up envy or jealousy. At other times, they made people angry. Are you listening? His storytelling. Oh, and he was a master storyteller. His storytelling was crafted in such a way so that you could see yourself in it. If you read Jesus' story, Jesus' parable, he's just not telling stories to tell stories. He speaks of kingdom life and your interaction with that kingdom. Let's see if I can give an example of what I'm talking about. Seeing yourself in it. When he spoke to the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 21, he said, There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard. Do you hear the story? There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged in a wine press or digged the wine press in it and built the tower and let it out. He lent it out to the husbandmen and went into a far country. He has everyone attention. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and kill another and stone another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise the same thing. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. They are going to respect and honor my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come and let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him or killed him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? He puts the question on the table. He gives the story, and then he puts the question to the audience, and they respond. Listen to their response. They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus' reply. Jesus saith unto them, did ye never read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruit thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, listen, they perceived that he spake of them. It was designed so you could see yourself in it. It made you happy. It stirred up envy, and it made you angry. You fell in one of those three groups. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus taught on God's sovereignty by saying many widows were in Israel during the three and a half years of no rain, Elijah was not sent to any of them. That's God's sovereignty. But was sent unto the widow in the city of Sidon. 
He goes on to say that in the days of Elisha, move from Elijah to Elisha, there were many lepers in Israel, but none of them were cleansed except Naaman, who came from Syria. How did they respond to that? They were filled with wrath. They were angry and wanted to kill him. Not a whole lot has changed, my friends. He didn't make you happy. Stir up envy or you just get angry. Which one? Jesus, Jesus' teaching or teachings are still shocking. And we have a shocking one right before us. <clears throat> just a quick backdrop. John's gospel is unique from the other three gospels that we call synoptic. We call them because they're similar, or you could put them side by side and see them together. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's unique in that the other gospels, if you read them, they begin in time. John said, I got to go back a little further. I'm going back to eternity. John gives us the history of the word and the mystery of the word. We find that in chapter 1. Concerning the history, he tells us that the, the word has always been. Concerning the mystery of the word, he tells us the word became flesh. That's a mystery. The word has always been, and the word became flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, chapter 1, verse 1. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him were nothing made that was made. You could ponder on that verse a long time. He said in the beginning, we're familiar with that when we go back to Genesis, right? In the beginning, it was just God. John tells us in the beginning, it's still God. He goes on to tell us in chapter 1 that the word was with God and the word was God. Literally, God was the word. How could the word be with God and at the same time be God? It seems like two gods. <laughs> Scratch your head. You say, wow, how could this be? Mystery and history. Where the word here, the word with speaks of intimacy with God, a union between, listen, the father and the son. Now, you don't see the word son in that verse. You just got to read a little further and jump down to verse 14 when it tells us, and that word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the only, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So that word that was with God and was God became flesh and tabernacle or pitch a tent among us. We have there before us at least two persons of the Trinity, right? Now, that's a difficult doctrine. Children, don't worry. You say, I don't understand it. Well, guess what? We as adults don't really understand it either. <laughs> but I can say this much. If you don't believe in the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. But if you try to figure out the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. It's too deep for us. We just can't grasp it. We, try, we teach it because we find it in the book. This word is God. And yet there's a distinction between the father and the son, not distinction in nature or substance, because both refer to God. But a distinction in role, the father is not the son and the son is not the father. Don't get those things confused. You end up with heresy. We call it modalism. Like God is water. 
and then he's ice, and then he's a mist or steam. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not even close to biblical truths. Oh, the Father is distinct from the Son, and the Son is distinct from the Father, and the Spirit is distinct from both. What John is teaching us is whatever God the Father is, the Son is, as far as deity. <clears throat> he said the Word is Jesus. He goes on to tell us that the Word is both creator and sustainer. You have to be God to be able to do that. Create and sustain. Plus, you have to have the power to create and the power to sustain. He created and sustained all things and nothing exists without him. He is the light of the world and the life of the world. Verses 10 through 13, that's chapter 1, tells us that the creator came into the world and the world did not even recognize him. Nevertheless, he gave power to as many, to many, to become the children of God, not because of their bloodline. Listen, if you are saved, it's not because of your bloodline. Listen, it's not because, and I'm not taking this away now, so don't misunderstand me. It's not because your parents were wonderful Christians. That's not why you're saved. And my granddad was a preacher. That's not why you're saved. Not because somebody sung in the choir. It's not because someone was an usher. It's not because someone attended church every Sunday. It's not why. If you're saved, it's because of God's amazing mercy in spite of all those other things. It doesn't flow to the bloodline. It has nothing to do with wisdom, at least not human wisdom. Not because of our wills per se. It's because they're born of God. That's why. So he gives them Again, this amazing statement I said earlier, the word became flesh, dwelt among us, pitched this tent among us, is shocking in the Greco-Roman world. You know why? Because gods didn't come down. Don't miss that. (laughs) This is shocking in this particular world because gods did not come down. Dwelling in the likeness of men. One of the reasons... Because of that, well, one of the reasons for that is because gods don't exist. <laughs> Maybe you didn't hear what I said. They can't come down. If you don't exist, you can't come down. <laughs> they don't exist. In this sense, they do. We call them demons. Verses 19 through 28, we hear the voice of John the Baptist in the wilderness. He's crying, make straight or prepare the way for the Lord. The king is coming. Verses 29 through 51, he shouts the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. To him, angels will ascend and descend, kind of like Jacob's ladder. Well, we move to chapter 2. Jesus turns the water into wine, cleanses out the temple, and declares himself to be the new temple and did not commit himself to any man because he knew what was in man. And that brings us quickly to chapter 3. And we have before us, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And we want to see something first. Boy, by the way, we're talking about being birth from above. Birth from above. 
First, we want to see Nicodemus's compliment. You got to hear it. It's a nice one. Nicodemus's compliment. It began by telling us there's a man of the Pharisees. He is a ruler of the Jews. John did not leave that out. He's a ruler of the Jews. This is not just somebody walking by. This is someone who has status in society. He is a ruler of the Jews. He comes to Jesus by night. <laughs> he is a, if we could put it, he's a chief commander, one of the authoritative figures in Israel. Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, came to Jesus, the teacher. Let's see what happens. Came by night. And he, being, he begins to tell Jesus something interesting. Listen to it. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that you are doing unless God is with him. No, no man. Did you hear the statement? We know that you are a teacher. We. He didn't say I. He said we. He's representing, listen, the Pharisees, the religious people. We know that you are a teacher come from God. Why? Because no man can do what you're doing unless God is with him. No man. Wow, that's a shocking statement. What a compliment, by the way. You would think Jesus said, well, thank you very much, Nicodemus. Nikki, good, good. Jesus didn't do that. Matter of fact, Jesus' response might, might, might seem... Shocking, and it is. Look into the compliment. Listen what Nicodemus said. He realized, he realized that Jesus came from where? God. That's what he said. Came from God. You came from God. You are God sent. You think if that was the case, why didn't you listen to it? <laughs> Stick with me a little bit. You came from God, but why would he say that? He said, because of the miracles. Now, I don't want you to miss this. We know that you are a man come from God because of the miracles, not because of the teaching. See, they didn't have a problem per se with the miracles because they couldn't deny the miracles. They were visible. You know, we get real spiritual. Oh, Jesus just healed a man's hand. Listen. You got six days to come and get healed. <laughs> Not on the Sabbath day. <laughs> you can't get healing on the Sabbath day. Religious folks, they couldn't deny the miracles, but they hated his teaching. We have no one say, I hate the miracles. Everyone wants a miracle, right? Who doesn't want a miracle? Save and unsave. Everyone wants a miracle. And if you say no, you're lying. <laughs> they didn't like his teachings. And that was the problem. <clears throat> if a woman was bent over for 18 years and Jesus said, stand upright, and she did, one could see that miracle. If a man was born blind, John chapter 9, and Jesus gave him sight, they said, what, what happened to you? Ah. There's a man named Jesus. <laughs> I could see the first thing I saw was him for the first time. 
They couldn't deny these things. Where, where is he? Where is he? The whole world is going after him. I hope you can hear the jealousy. See, sometimes if you're not in the limelight, right, and somebody else gets in the limelight, there's this jealousy that happens for some reason. It should not, not in the body of Christ. We ought to esteem what, each other better than ourselves. If we do that, there wouldn't be no room for jealousy. Envy. They could not deny. They could not deny his miracle. If one was dead for four days like Lazarus, Jesus could stand by the graveside with people all around and say, come forth. What power? He did the same thing for you. If you are saved, you had grave clothes on. You didn't know that until he said, come forth. He raised you from the dead. They could not deny his miracles. Matter of fact, his miracles drew some crowds. He didn't turn anyone away. Did you know that? He didn't say, you know, go back. I, I don't, I'm out of miracles for the day. No. He healed all that came to him. Couldn't deny the miracles. They just did not like the straight to the heart teaching. They didn't like it. He taught, I say, with authority, and they forced you to respond. So the focus is on what he is doing, not what he is teaching. And I think that's why Jesus responds the way he responds. Jesus doesn't say, well, thank you for the compliment. Matter of fact, he shocks Nicodemus in such a way, he, he said, he's, Jesus replies, he replies by saying, truly, truly. Verily, verily. Amen, amen. That's what the words mean. Amen and amen. Notice something. Jesus is not waiting for Nicodemus to say amen when he says a statement. Jesus said, I started off. Amen, amen. You must be born again. That's how he starts it off. He said, I'm going to amen myself. And then I'm going to tell you what I have to say. And that's what he does. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. What did that have to do with Nicodemus' statement? Jesus said, I hear what you said, but I'm not want to talk about that. I want to get to the main thing. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. Can you imagine Nicodemus when Jesus said that statement? What? What? <laughs> What's <the>? What? <laughs> what did you just say? I'm saying to you, Nicodemus, religious Nicodemus, the leader among the Jews, I'm saying, unless you are born again, you can't see God's kingdom. What? I thought I was in the kingdom. Hold on. Oh, Jesus has a, a, a shocking reply for Nicky. And it's a shocking one. Flesh and blood has not revealed us unto you, as he said to Peter. There's none other hand about God in this. You need a miracle. Jesus is talking about something that every single person needs. Every single one needs. We got to have a birth from above if we're going to be above. It's not going to happen any other way. You have to have it because you need it. Jesus doesn't have time for compliments, at least entertaining, not right here. Jesus has to get to the spiritual matter, and he gets right to the heart of it. 
See, the heart of Jesus' teaching is to get at your heart. That's what he does, and he does it well. Jesus is the type who keeps the main thing the main thing. <laughs> I wish I was good at doing that. He's going to tell the Jewish leader, I know you're talking about miracles, but I'm going to tell you the miracle that you need. You're talking about my miracles. Yes, but I have a miracle because you remember you acknowledged that I was sent from God. I have a miracle from God that you need. Even a religious leader. He's a theologian. He's talking to a theologian. Seminary professor. Nicodemus. Dr. Nicodemus from the seminary of Jerusalem. Jerusalem Theological Seminary, if you will. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. I don't think these words grip us enough. I don't. I don't. If we would take the heart that Jesus is saying these words, unless something happens to you, you're not going to heaven. You're not even going to be in God's family. Matter of fact, you're talking to Nicodemus. In this sense, you can think you're in God's family and not be in God's family. Are you with me? It has nothing to do with our baptism. Baptism doesn't put you in the family. You could be baptized, matter of fact, in every body of water from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean, and every tadpole could know you by name and still not be in God's family. It's a shocking statement. I say unto you, Nicodemus, you have to be born again if you're going to be in God's family, God's kingdom. So what is meant then as Jesus Shock Nicodemus and tell him he can't even see the kingdom of God, that glorious realm with God himself ruling over everything. Not that God doesn't rule, but he exercises his power everywhere, especially in his church. Notice Nicodemus' response in verse 4. Nicodemus said unto him, how, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Wait a minute. You think Nicodemus playing games? I don't know if he is or not. But he asked two questions. He said, how can this thing be? Well, did Jesus answer the question? <laughs> I, I love it. Jesus went right back to the same thing. Jesus didn't derail. He didn't get sidetracked. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus said, wait a minute. Let me say it a different way. I told you, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. Let me shift it up a little bit. Unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom. What part you don't understand? <laughs> I mean, he's still not answering Nicodemus's questions. Nicodemus, I'm trying to keep you on track. I am the king of the kingdom. You're looking at the king of the kingdom. And unless you are born from above, you cannot even see or enter it. What is meant then by the words born again? Kind of in the title. Jesus gives us two things. He said, <clears throat> he gives us the place and then he gives us somewhat of the process. The words born again mean to be born or birth from above. Simple as I can put it. Birth from above. 
You have to come out of the womb of heaven, so to speak, if I could put it that way. Have to be birthed from above. It is to possess spiritual, heavenly life. Listen, in earthen vessels. <laughs> spiritual life right in your makeup now. It is divine life in the human heart. You could say the soul, if you will. Henry Scrugel, you remember that name? Scrugel. He used to call it the life of God in the soul of man. Jesus is saying, if we do not, listen, if we do not possess kingdom life, we will not be in God's kingdom at all. Simple as I can put it. <clears throat> so what is meant by kingdom? Well, I just told you that. It's God's royal rule or reign. This rule is confined, is not confined to a particular location. God doesn't, you know, rule over here in China and doesn't rule anywhere else. You know, some people think that way. Some people think God has a, a particular location. He just rules like we gather on Sunday. So he just in the church gathering. That's it. He's nowhere else. He, he, he doesn't observe anything else. He, he doesn't know anything else. God is really limited. Yeah, well, that's not God. But God of the Bible is not limited at all. He rules everywhere. Everywhere. Oh, he wouldn't be God. It's not confined to some geographical location because God is geographically everywhere. <clears throat> but it also can refer, this rule, to the rule of God in the human heart. God's kingdom. <clears throat> but it carries another meaning, and I think this is the meaning here. I could be wrong, but I'm going to stick by it for right now. Carries another meaning in the fact that it refers to the messianic kingdom. Listen carefully. The messianic kingdom, I'm talking about the Messiah, in which God would set up that, <clears throat> excuse me, the messianic kingdom God sets up that shall never be removed or destroyed when Messiah is the object and the main attraction. Are you with me? It's the kingdom where God sets up Jesus Christ as the object and the main attraction of that kingdom. This is the binding agreement between the Father, Son, as well as the Holy Spirit. We call it a covenant, right? An agreement where Jesus is the head, listen, of a covenant people who will enjoy God's covenant blessings and his covenantal favor and his covenantal love and his covenantal presence throughout a covenantal eternity. God and his people together. So Jesus is saying these things with no apology. Nicodemus, sorry, did I hurt your feelings? That's not what Jesus is doing. Not at all. It's this kingdom. He tells them that a man must be born of the water and of the spirit. He tells them that, <clears throat> verse 5, must be born of water and the spirit. Now, quickly, theologians are divided as to what the water is talking about. Some indeed say it's baptism. It may be. Some think it's just a natural birth. Jesus saying, unless you're born naturally, water, <laughs> breaking out of water, then you cannot 
be born a second time if you're not born the first time. Pastor friend of mine, I love it. I have adopted it. He said, when you're born once, you die twice. Physical death, spiritual death. He said, but when you're born twice, you die once. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Physical birth, spiritual birth. Then you just have that physical death. So some think this is the the breaking of the the women's water, which leads to a natural birth. In other words, a physical birth in order to have a spiritual birth. Sound reasonable. Sound very reasonable. And that may be it. It makes sense. Because if you don't exist, right? You can't be born again. (laughs) It only makes sense. You have to exist to experience another birth. It only makes sense. However, others say it may refer to the Spirit as the river of living waters. Man, I like that. (laughs) I like it. As in John 7, when Jesus said, Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. He's referring to the Spirit. Love it. I already say others think it's water baptism. Others say it may refer to the word that's found in Ephesians chapter 5. The washing of water with the word. It could be that. However, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, you don't have Ephesians chapter 5. You might have missed what I just said. When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, you don't have Ephesians chapter 5. How would Nicodemus have understood this? Nicodemus, remember, is a Pharisee. He's not a dummy, so to speak. This man is a theologian. In order to be a Pharisee, not only did you have to memorize the first five books, what we call the Pentateuch or the Law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, you had to memorize the entire Old Testament. That's why there weren't a lot of Pharisees. The entire Old Testament, just let me put that in perspective, right? That's how many? 39 books? 929 chapters, 23,145 verses. That's a lot of Bible. That man know every passage. He's, he's memorized every single passage that talks about the Messiah. What's stunning and shocking is that he's read all of those passages. He's looking at the Messiah. He doesn't even know who he is. See, you can know a lot of Bible He's read of the promise. He's looking at the promise, and he doesn't even realize it. Any place Jesus quotes, Nicodemus can fill in. (laughs) How about you? How about you and me? Can we do that? How are we doing with Bible memorization? Whole Old Testament. Young people, you ready? He had to memorize that by age 15. He started when he was six. Parents, how are we doing with Bible memorization? This man knew a lot of Bible. He knew a lot about Jesus. He just didn't know Jesus. We don't want that to be so of us. Is he referring to this? Is he referring to the water of the, <coughs> the word? Oh, you can't. You got to have the word. Is he referring to the spirit? You got to have the spirit. Have both. Well, let's listen to this. Jesus may be alluding to this right here. Ezekiel chapter 36, because Nicodemus would have understood it. Even though he didn't, even if he didn't understand it in his depths or in its depths. Listen, 
And, Jesus, and the word of God said this, Ezekiel 36. He said, and I will, God saying, and I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all country, and I will bring you into your own land. Listen, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you. Think Nicodemus would have known that? Of course he would have. Then would I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Nicodemus would have known that passage. Spirit, water. Unless you're born of the spirit. And water, says Jesus, you can't be in the kingdom. What is Jesus saying? God has to come and do some surgery on us. We have to have a radical undertaking. He has to do surgery on us. He, he says in this passage, I have to come in and I'm going to take out the heart. I'm going to cut that old stony thing out. That thing that just, uh, you know, hates me and is against me, hostile toward me. I'm going to cut that out and I'm going to place a new heart in there and I'm going to stitch you back up. going to be a radical change I have to ask the question that change happened to us have we been in the surgery room with the great physician split us open took that thing out put a new one in sealed us back up and all of a sudden we just wanted him maybe I should put it another way have God arrested you that he put the heavenly, the spirit came and put the heavenly handcuffs on you. Instead of taking you to jail, he took you to Jesus. Amen. That happened to you. <sighs> Jesus says something interesting as well, back in John chapter 3. After saying you must be born by the water and spirit. He says something, verse 6 which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He gives a distinction. He said, I'm not talking about human ingenuity. That's not what I'm talking about. He said, I'm not talking about some human mastermind. He said, I'm telling you, it has to be the spirit's work. You can't work this up. We say you do this, and then you get born again. Really? <laughs> is that how it happens? No, God has to do something. Something has to be done in the inside. Not just the external, something has to be done in the inside. When God renews, give new life, fresh life in the inside. Listen, it'll work on the outside. But it has to be something on the inside that works on the outside. Oh man, we're not going to get done, but we'll get what we can. <clears throat> Jesus is saying in order for a man to be born again, spiritual life has to be given. Notice what he says in verse 7. He says the same thing three times, three different ways. Verse 3, born again. Verse 5, born again. Verse 7, born again. You think he's driving home a point? Of course he is. Of course he is. He hadn't let up on Nicodemus yet. And notice something. You're going to notice something interesting. 
after Nicodemus asked about the womb, he didn't ask another question. Except verse 9. I'm sorry about that, verse 9. But Jesus is speaking on this other than Nicodemus saying, how can these things be? How can it be? But Jesus said, marvel not, don't be shocked, don't be astonished, don't be surprised that I said unto you, you must be born again. I love verse 7. You know why? Because Jesus changes from the singular to the plural. It's right there in your Bible. He's right, he said, you, you must be born again, singular, verse 3 and 5. But when he gets to verse 7, you, all of you must be born again. Oh, that's strong. Nicodemus, I'm not just talking about you. All of you Pharisees. Wow. That's shocking. Remember, these are the religious leaders. Jesus said to Nicodemus, I say unto thee, singular. That's why the King James uses thee and thou. I know people struggle with that. Thee, thou, thine. There's a reason why they did that. They, they made the distinguishing mark between the singular and the plural. Other than that, you wouldn't know. I'm not kicking out all modern translation, but you get a you and you. How you know if it's singular, second person singular, or second person plural? How do you know? When Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan desired to sift you as wheat. If you read that in the modern translation, you think he's just talking about Peter. But if you read it, it's actually plural. You have to look at the original language in order to know that. Satan desired to sift all of you as wheat, not just you. You won't get that. And they try to help you out. That's what they did. And that's why he said, I say unto you, you got to be born again. Then you get to verse 7. I say, ye, ye, all of you must be born again. Just a little note for you. I'm not pitching for the King James. But I am preaching for the King James. You must be born again. Jesus is saying not only Nicodemus, but Nicodemus, all of you have to have the same thing. And he says the same thing to us. If you got it, rejoice because God did it. If you don't have it, cry for mercy because he only can do it. He only can do it. No one wants to face God on the day of judgment without God. I don't know any other way to put it, but I'm trying to be as simple as possible. No one wants to face God without God. I'm talking about Jesus standing right there. You don't want to do that. That would be horrifying. That would be horrifying. It's almost like in the book of Daniel when uh, Belshazzar, I think, saw the, saw the finger on the wall and his bones start shaking in the inside. He, listen, he's seen a hand without a finger, but he's never seen a finger without a hand. A finger on the wall writing. God does, God does some shocking things sometimes. We will tremble in the inside unless we have a representative who can talk to God. This is the day of mercy now. But as Martin Luther said in that hymn, the day of grace will be passing gone. Trembling, they stand before his throne, all unprepared to meet him. Unprepared. We don't want to be like Judas and throw away our privileges. Jesus goes on with this work. He said, marvel not that I said unto you, you all must be born again, all of you. The word must is crucial because it tells us that there is no other way to enter the kingdom. 
no other way. You can't find another way to get in God's kingdom. You and I have to have that must be. We have to have a must be in our lives. If we are going to be in God's kingdom, the must be has to happen. No, tithing is not going to get us in the kingdom. We can't buy salvation. You can't rent it. Can't put it on layaway. Some of you may not even know what that is, but you know, <laughs> they had it when I was coming up. Put a little money down. Put a little bit more money down. You put a little bit more money down. You put a little bit more money down until you get it all, and then you can get it. It's a layaway. That's what he used to call it. Then, until you have enough to get it. Well, you can't put this thing on layaway. You, you can't earn this thing. You can't lease this thing. You can't rent this thing. And you definitely can't buy this thing. You can't even work for this thing. You can't earn it. It's free. As I said, I don't know, a hundred times. Free to us, but it costs God everything. God said, I fit it. I'm going to fit the bill. You get it for free. I'll fit the bill. It sounds too good to be true. People don't even want it. It's free. <laughs> we take free stuff from the government. <laughs> but we won't take anything free from God. It's insanity. It's insanity. God said, it's free. I'm giving it to you for free, and it's for your well-being. No, I don't want it. I, I don't want it. I just do the best I can. And, well, don't do the worst you can, please. But I'll just do the best I can and, and see what happens. That's, that, that should do it. No, it won't. No, it won't. That's to deny the very coming of Jesus Christ and his work. Well, <clears throat> Jesus gives, not only does Jesus give this right here, he gives an illustration. Listen to that illustration. It's in verse 8. It's in verse 8. He said, the wind blows where it, lists, where it wants, and you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell where it's coming or where it's going. So is everyone born, so is everyone born of the Spirit. Do you hear it? Don't miss it. Jesus moves from himself to the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. And then we go back and forth. I wish I could do the whole passage because we, if you read it carefully, you see the Trinity right there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right there in the passage. The Father gave the Son, the Son's going to be lifted up, and the Holy Spirit is working life. It's right there in the passage. He said, listen to the work of the Spirit. You can't tell him what to do. That's the passage. Have you ever tried telling the wind what to do? Let me see you try it. We all can walk outside right now. I would love for someone, someone young or old to say, I want you to blow from the east. And it's going to show up and do it. Oh, blow from the west. No, it's not going to listen. But Jesus is saying the same way with the spirit. He moves wherever he wants. He can move over here and not move over there. He can move over here and not move over here. He can move in both places. So we can't tell where he's coming from or where he's going. What is Jesus saying? The work of the Spirit, listen, is invisible and visible. Stick with me. The work of the Spirit is visible and invisible. What do I mean by that? You can't see him working. Paul was preaching Acts chapter 16. He's preaching away. He's preaching away. He's preaching away. And Lydia is hearing it. It said, but between the time she heard and she heeded, something happened. The Lord opened her heart. Paul didn't see that. Paul didn't see that. He was preaching, and God was working. 
It's that invisible work. You can't see the spirit working because he's a spirit. And he works on the heart. Some people sit and fight it. Oh, yeah. I know I'm not supposed Oh, 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 man, maybe he was at our house last night. Did you tell him what was going on? No. That ever happened to you? <laughs> Somebody preaching, you say, hey, did you call him up and tell him what was going on? No, no, why? Because the word of God is designed to be searching. He got the flashlight and he shines the flashlight. And sometimes we sit and fight. Fight when God is just opening us up and saying, no, no. See, this is you right here. That's right here. That's what you need to repent of right here. And we fight it. So we can go on being miserable. <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't understand me sometimes. This visible work of the Spirit, he invisibly works, but we ought to see what? Some effects from it. If you are rescued, if this birth has happened to you, this real life from above has happened to you, it should be a change. If you are not changed, I don't even have to say something wrong. You're just not changed. Your change should give you a used-to-be story. <laughs> you can say, I used to be. Now, if you don't have a used-to-be story, that's because you're still being what you used to be. No change. That's what the Spirit does. And that's why Jesus is saying, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. You can't enter the kingdom. You have to have kingdom life now, now, now. Or we'll never be in the kingdom. Aren't you thankful that he gives it? <laughs> what Jesus says we need, he actually gives. You know that? He actually gives. God isn't stingy with us. Children, God isn't stingy. You can't say, well, I'm too young right now. No, you're not. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. Old can come. Young can come. We all can come together to Jesus. He's not stingy. God isn't hiding anything. Say, so you know what? I got salvation hit under here and a rock. No, he said, it's right here. It's right here. That's why I said the other day, I like John 16 because it has a whosoever. That's my name. I'm the whosoever. God left it there and said, Clarence, just go ahead and put your name right there. That's you. And he did the same thing for you. Jesus is not giving us fairy tales, y'all. Jesus is not playing games with us at all. The Spirit works in the soul, really works in the soul. He turns us from being haters of God to lovers of God. What a great change. From being enemies to being friends, going a little further to being children, bringing us into his family. Listen, we are the wealthiest if you are in the kingdom, you are the wealthiest. You have every. Do you realize your father owns everything? The whole entire universe. You realize that? I can sit on my planet, my stars. I don't know how to get to anyone. But listen, I own, he owns everything. Cattle upon a thousand hills. Don't leave out the hills. He owns the hills as well. What a glorious thing. And you don't want that? You don't want that? Why? Why? I'm going to use something we use in Carolina. I think we still use it right here. Why die broke? <laughs> when there's a, why, why, why die in bankruptcy? Why, why when God 
owns everything, and he calls you to come. Why? That's insanity. I said it before, and I'll say it again. We major in stupidity, and we minor in insanity. I don't understand it. Tell a person a thousand times over, there's freedom in Jesus Christ. He's come so that we would not drown in our own self-destruction, but we would rather do that. It's insanity. Jesus is not throwing out a life jacket, y'all, for somebody to grab it. Jesus is jumping in himself. Jesus is jumping him himself. I'm drowning. I've already drowned. He jumps in, brings me up, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, and breathe life. That's what he does. <sighs> do you want that if you don't have it? Do you want it? Or are we just continuing on in insanity? <sighs> oh. The Lord, help us, help us, help us. The wind is independent, y'all. It blows where it wills, and so is the Spirit. As I said before, we cannot dictate to the Spirit what he should, could do at all. He has his own prerogative. He can do whatever he wants. I've never seen in the Scriptures, maybe you could find it, someone crying out to Jesus, and he turned them away. Maybe you can find a passage but I've been through them a whole lot and I haven't seen what Jesus just turned folks away. He made himself available. If they wanted Jesus, guess what? They got him. Amen. If they wanted him, they got him. Right. And my friends, I say this to you, if you are converted, it's because you wanted him too and you got him. Amen. But if you're not, guess what? Do you want him? You can have him if you want him. He's available. <laughs> available. <clears throat> Let me just say this, because some of us probably wish it was different. Sickness is contagious. Certain diseases are contagious, but salvation isn't contagious unless you touch Jesus. Are you still, stick with me. Listen, salvation isn't contagious unless you get contact with Jesus. I can't rub salvation off on children or spouse. I can't do it. But if you can get to Jesus, oh, he can rub a whole lot off on you. Amen. I don't know how to put it. It's life right now. You can't catch this from a person. You can't, listen, you can't go to Walgreens and, and, and buy a prescription. You can't go to Baptist Hospital and get a shot. This thing can't give me a shot of salvation. It doesn't work that way. But we can get it from Jesus. We can get it from Jesus, and we need it from Jesus. Oh, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, that theologian, that, <clears throat> that theologian, that national theologian, that Old Testament professor, he memorized, like I said, great portions of the scriptures, great portions, and yet still didn't see Jesus. All of those things he was looking for, <laughs> he's standing by. And he doesn't even realize it. How about you this morning? Can you hear about Jesus and not even realize it? Can he just fly over your head? We try to make it simple. Because we want you to love the master. 
He's not only lovable, he's lovely and he's love itself. And we want you to be gripped by Jesus. If you grip by Jesus, guess what? You can travel through this world. If you grip by Jesus, you can look to the world to come. Friend of mine, we just laid that body to rest yesterday. And oh, my friends, it brought tears from the eyes. The day before he died, his wife said he hadn't said anything for a couple of days. Anything at all. And said he just sat up the day before he died and just waved and smiled. Didn't wave at his wife. Waved and smiled. And listen, that could be my own little imagination. Maybe I'm just going out in the right field, but I'm going way out in the right field. Maybe the angels were there. And maybe he was waving. About to go home. If you don't have this birth, you won't be able to wave. Are you listening? If you don't have this must be in your life, you won't see King Jesus wrapping his arms around you at all. I don't want anyone to hear depart from me. But if you don't have this birth, that's what you're going to hear. Whether you want to hear it or not, you're going to hear depart from me, you curse, and the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And some people won't realize that until it's a reality. And Jesus had never reversed those words. Never. Time is what we have right now. Eternity is coming, y'all. It's going to come where time will be no more. I don't want you nor myself to be a Bible toter and a scripture quoter, and that's it. Just carrying our Bibles. Barely reading it. Talking about Jesus, fly like Judas with no love for him. I don't want that for you and I don't want that for myself. We want to know the king and all of his beauty and all of his loveliness, all of his glory. You can't read the gospel and not see a compassionate Jesus stopping by the blind what do you want me to do? What kind of question is that for God to ask? God in human fast, what do you want me to do? We should be asking him, what do you want us to do? He said, what do you want me to do? Lord, that I may receive my sight. Receive your sight. That's <laughs> Jesus. He doesn't need anyone. God doesn't need us. You do realize that, right? He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He wants us. He doesn't need anything, anything whatsoever. God was getting on, getting along just fine by himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, delighting in one another. No sinners to deal with. No rebellion. That seemed like perfect life. Just enjoy one another. God can get rid of everyone and still delight in God. He's self-content. But yet, but yet, God in Christ has opened wide the door so that we could come in. So that we could come in. 
the door is wide open for us. And Jesus tells us right here in the passage, let me tell you the key. Let me tell you the key. Born from above. It gets you in the kingdom. It gets you through the door. It puts you in the family. What family do you want to be in if you don't want to be in God's family? Talk to me. (laughs) What other family do you want to be in? If you don't want to be in the kingdom of light, you just want to stay in the kingdom of darkness? That's insanity. I'm going to keep repeating that word because it is. It's insanity. There's a disconnect somewhere in the mind. When the Spirit of God comes in, he changes us, and he changes us forever. He changes us, and he making, he's making us more and more like Jesus Christ. Why? Because we need to be like him. We look so white, unlike him. God said, I'm going to make you like my son, and I'm going to do the work. What? I'm going to do the work, and I'll give you all the goods. What? What? Not only am I going to do the work and give you the goods, guess what else I'm going to do? And this is so shocking. I'm going to reward you. You're going to do what? Yes, I'm going to give you the grace to do the work. And reward you for the work that I gave you the grace to do. <laughs> Y'all, I, I don't know how to make it any simple. You. you see the glory and love of God. You see the power of God, the patience of God. The sweetness of God, if you will. To us, we don't deserve a drop of it. But he gives it anyway. Don't throw that away. Young people, I know, we who are older were young at one point. <laughs> I know it's hard for you to believe that. <laughs> you thought we came into the world this age. No, that's not how it happened. And we know the world is very attractive. We know that. We'd be lying if we told you we didn't. We know it has a lot of stuff to offer. We know, we know how it comes for the mind. We know how it wants to fashion you into its likeness. We know that. It wants to squeeze you, as one man has said, squeeze you into its mold. That's what it wants to do. We, 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 we know that. There's an escape route. Can I tell you? There's an escape route. Jesus said you get the birth. You can know how to function and use the world without abusing it. There's an escape route. There's life in Jesus Christ, the love of God flowing in the soul, and that love that flows down from God in the soul ought to go back up to God. It's reciprocal. Ought to be a love flowing within us to God and even to one another. So God has given his holy son a page turn, and this son has shocked Nicodemus, not entertaining his Compliment. Nice compliment. But getting to the heart of the matter by telling Nicodemus something has to happen to you, even to you, a religious man, even to you, a professor, even to you who has a lot of Bible memorized. You know that Nicodemus had more Bible memorized. I'm not trying to insult anybody, but you could disagree with me, but I think it's the reality. Nicodemus had more, more Bible memorized than any, all of us in this room combined. All of us. He still didn't know who Jesus was. 
That is pretty scary. Unless we are born again, we cannot enter God's kingdom. Being born again is God's work alone, and we cannot do anything about it. We can't add anything to it. We can't take anything away from it. We can be conservative, know a vast portion of Scripture, know all the creeds and confession, homeschool our children, embrace modesty, have a good view of manhood and womanhood, and still not be on the highway to heaven. You hear what I just said? Still not be. Jesus said, you must be born again. May it be so in this place. Let us pray. Father, how thankful we are this very day for the great things you've given to us. Oh, we have more than heart could wish. Lord Jesus, you taught you such a master teacher. God, we want to be taught by you. We want to know what it is to have and experience and even to flesh out kingdom life right now. Lord, help us to walk as your people. Help us to love as your people. Help us to talk as your people. And God, when we fall down, help us to get back up by your spirit and continue to look to Jesus Christ, the author and finish of our faith, and to run this race with joy. Pray for those who don't know you, those who are still just satisfied with themselves. God, shake them from top to bottom. Make them uncomfortable with themselves and comfortable with Jesus Christ. Would you please do it for your glory and for your honor? Now, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.